Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 354th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners, we want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is, I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. This Urban Farm podcast is brought to you by Seed Bank Box, a monthly seed subscription for the urban farmer. Seed Bank Box is one great big seed surprise. Each month you get a shipment with 8 to 10 varieties of seeds along with a description and planting instructions. Hit the Seed Bank Lottery. Get more information at urbanfarm.org forward slash seed bank box. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is empowering his community's strength and resilience through gardening. We're talking with James Ross about the value of community gardens. James, a father of five and a grandfather of eight, is the co-founder of the Caseda Gardens Initiative, QGI, a private nonprofit organization focusing on better health and quality of life in Bayview. He and co-founder Jeffrey Betcher have helped to fund and nurture many community building efforts, working with other foundations within Bayview Hunters Point to form and support a network for the community. QGI has started two major community gardens. One is a place for people to sit and relax, and the other is a learning garden where community children learn how to grow food from seed to harvest. The initiative also runs a free Build a Backyard Garden program called Bay Bloom. He now lives in Danville, Kentucky, where he has founded three additional community gardens. Welcome to the show today, James. Are you ready to rock the community garden? We are ready to rock. 
Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I didn't start off as a gardener. I started off just somebody roaming through San Francisco as a 17, 18-year-old and spent 10 years and then I left and I came back. And when I came back, there was a different environment. There was more people who wanted to talk more about food and how can we get that locally in our own area. Uh-huh. And the two seniors who helped start this, they said, well, let's grow food in the median. Oh, wow. You know, it was kind of unheard of at that time. And we was like, well, yeah, show us how to do it. So they started planting in front of their house. And they said, well, if everybody would plant something across from their house, we would have a garden in just a matter of time. And before you know it, we done, I think it's 420-something feet, you know, with probably 15, 20 different gardens inside of it. Wow. So give me a timeline on that, because I suspect that was a few decades ago, was it not? That was 1990, I would guess. All right. Because it took us almost seven years to complete this project, Mm -hmm. you know, because our our street had, I think, 22 palm trees going down the middle of it, and most of the time they was using it for a trash dump. Mm. That's what got the people's attention and said, we have to do better. Once we got, you know, all the garden part in, then we started working on a mural on the dead inside of it. Then we started having Halloween parties. And then we started having schools coming, putting on different shows and started having all kinds of bands and different things. So it became a real fun project for the you know, next six, eight years. And then another group right up the hill, they said, hey, well, we got a plot, but it's never been worked before. Do you think you can do something for us? And we went up and we had some discussions and as well, let's do a teaching garden. And that worked out really well. So now we got the University of San Francisco students coming out and they bring the football team for the heavy lifting and, oh, nice. you know, terracing the land because it was on a slant on a hill. Oh, yeah. Because you know, San Francisco is full of hills. Yep. Everything you want to do, you know, you got to work, you know, a terrace or you got to do something in order to try to level it out in order to make it work. Yeah. Wow. So I want you to think back to the time when you were starting to, you know, get these gardens in. And was there something that happened that had you know deep down in your heart that, oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I need to be doing? I think when I realized that the food cost in San Francisco was so high and the neighborhood that we lived in in Bayview, it was a poor neighborhood. You know, every liquor store had some type of groceries, but they didn't have any fresh vegetables. And you would have to go maybe like a 45 minute bus ride or you'd have to you know, get somebody to take you. And we just found it easier that if we brought it a lot closer, it'd be a lot fresher. And we wouldn't have to worry about the pesticides that are sprayed on processed foods. And mm-hmm. it made it real clear that we could do something about this. And that's one of the reasons why the program where we would build a box and we would give a family their seeds, their the box, the soil, a fruit tree, you know, we give them everything that they needed and brought food a lot closer to the house. And it brought nutrition a lot closer to the house then too. Exactly. Yeah. So was there one family that you particularly remember? There's several. Jeffrey Betch was one of them. He was a new guy who moved in and he was a community organizer so he already had the skill to form a you know, little coalition of groups and to help us out and to get us started. And then there's a Shane King. He was a filmmaker who started doing little stories about us. And, you know, we started doing pretty good. And the news, you know, finally caught up with what we was doing. And uh-huh. we felt like we was on the right track after that. Yeah, no kidding. I'll tell you, once you start getting community buy-in, it makes life a whole lot easier. I agree. Yeah. So fast forward a few years and... 2010, you moved to Danville, Kentucky, and you get to start this whole process over again. Tell me about that. Well, you know, when I came back to Danville, I I thought it was over. 
know, I said, I'm going to go back here, find me a regular job, be like everyday <laughs> person, you know. And yeah, right. Like you and I can do that. That's right. It's just not going to happen. It's not in our blood. You know, there were some ladies who had kind of heard about what I had done out there. And so they called me and said, hey, you know, do you think you can meet with us and talk about this community garden thing? We hear about it. You no, know, because they're in Lexington, Kentucky, which is 35 miles down the road. They had already been doing it for 15 or 20 years, which I didn't know. Uh-huh. I met with them. I called the folks. The gentleman's name is Jim Emery mm-hmm. in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, he said, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and show you what I'm doing. And he was doing schools. He's doing rehab you know, for people who are on drugs, halfway houses. He was just kind of doing it all. And I just got really excited. And I was like, you was a man I need to talk to. Yeah, no kidding. So we just kind of took it from there and came back to Danville, had a few more meetings, you know, get more community output. Uh-huh. And now we got to find land. You know, not being here for almost 30 years, you know, I really didn't know who to talk to. And so we just put our little fillers out there. And a gentleman said, hey, well, you know, I've got some vacant land over here that's right uptown. Would that work? And I said, it's perfect because now people that live in town mm-hmm. can actually just walk over to the garden, pick up tomatoes or lettuce or carrots or whatever they need. And that's how we got our start. You know, thankful you know, for the people who was kind of looking out for us. So you've done this a lot over the past 30 years or so and it seems to me like one of the big stoppers is this whole notion of finding land do you have any thoughts or rules or guidelines for our listeners about how to go about finding land when you talk to somebody about using their land you usually have to come up with some type of agreement mm-hmm. and how long that agreement is going to be you know if your mindset says well you know i'm gonna get this piece of land i'm gonna use it all the time the landowner may not want that so you have to make sure that you know, there's some type of agreement of a time limit and we said well give us two years and you know if it don't work out then we'll just move on yeah he was great with that and we was really thankful and at the end of the two years, he was kind of hesitant. It's because he started worrying about, well, insurance problems. Because, you know, we had schools and churches and different businesses coming in, volunteering their time. And uh-huh. So he was really concerned about if somebody got hurt, am I going to get sued? So we had to write something else into our laws mm. and, and just kind of took it from there. And, and then he was, still wasn't sure because his insurance man was saying, you know, if somebody step on a, a nail or somebody gets poked with something in the ground, I could still be sued. So he just kind of put his own hold. So we just started looking for another place. And we put our fellows out again. Uh-huh. Jenny Rogers, the elementary school, said, hey, we'll take it. We've got 300 kids over here. No, we'll even take the response. If, if something happens. Oh, wow. Made life really easy, and we just kind of moved right in. Nice. So now one of your community gardens is in a school. Yes, we have two. We have uh, Jenny Rogers, and now we have a school called Edna Tolliver, which is going to be brand new starting this spring. Uh, we've already raised like $1,000 or better to you know build the boxes, get the soil. We have people who donate starter plants. So, you know, that project is ready to roll. Nice. And with the school garden that you've had in a school for a while, how are the kids interacting with you? What's their take on it? They're loving it because, you know, they've never really tasted a real tomato. Mm. You know, because they feel like, you know, mom goes grocery shopping, she brings all the food home and all the vegetables are grown in the grocery store. Uh-huh. You know, now we can show them that, no, that's not exactly how it works. So, you know, we give them tomato plants to take home, we give them seeds to take home. And then with the school garden, like we just set up different events and have the kids come out and, you know, mainly plant like during the spring because during the summer they're out of school. Oh, yes. So some kids do come back during the summer and they help us out and other volunteers, they help us through the hottest part because in August here, you know, it could be 90 degrees for 10 days in a row. Right, yeah. Kind of like where you're from. You know, it gets hot. Everything's got to be done in the morning. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. In fact, the best time to grow here in Phoenix is not June, July, and August. In fact, I tell people to take the summer off. That's right. 
great. Go ahead and just go on vacation. Yeah, which is way different than normal elsewhere in the country, let me put it that way. Yeah, because I think we get 220 days of growing here. Oh, my gosh. From greenhouses to cold frames, yep. people can get started really early. And, you know, most of them do. I also have a radio show called Gardening with James. Oh. For the last eight years, I've been, you know, sitting at the radio desk talking to folks about growing food, giving tips. I have nonprofits who come in. They call in from around the country, from Minnesota all the way to Los Angeles, you know, to be on the show. And they give great tips for people who are not exactly in Danville, but could help other people around the country. Right. I tell people all the time that there's no such thing as a brown thumb. You just have to know the rules for where you're growing at. That's right. Yeah. So why is all of this so important? Because there's a lot of people out here struggling. They work every day of the week. They still don't have enough money. They've got to choose between rent, car payment, or whatever, and a lot of nutrition gets left out. Yeah. We felt that if we could just, you know, take a small piece into showing them how to grow fresh vegetables, fresh fruits and things like that in their own backyard, a life could be just a little bit easier. And, you know, it cuts back on the pesticides because we know that all the stores, just about anywhere that you go, the food is processed and it's usually shipped in about 1,500 to 2,000 miles away. Yeah, they call those food miles, by the way. That's right. I remember seeing during the economic downturn of 2008, I remember seeing on the Today Show one day, this family somewhere down south, it was a thousand square foot house and three generations of family in this house. And they showed the yard. They actually had a nice yard around the small house they were living in. One of the complaints was that they didn't have enough money to buy food. I watched that segment on the Today Show and I just thought, wow, all this dirt. We just need to teach people how to garden. They can grow it themselves. Yeah, exactly. No, because gardening isn't easy. So you have to put a little effort into it. Uh-huh. The way I try to teach people is don't start off with trying to grow a acre of food. Right. That is definitely a failure waiting to happen. <laughs> no kidding. You know, start small, you know, get your four by four box, use a square foot garden method. Yep. You know, just something easy or, you know, plant some uh, vegetables in your flower bed, something that you're already doing. You know, that, that will help ease some of the tension. Uh-huh. And if it works, you know, say a couple of years, then build you another box. Yeah. I'm big on finer boxes because I'm not getting any younger and I hate digging in the dirt. <laughs> no kidding. So you have a radio show that you've been doing about gardening in Kentucky. Tell me about it. Like I was saying earlier, I hadn't planned on getting back into radio or anything Actually, I did have a radio show called Life on the Block in San Francisco, where I brought in community members to talk about what they're doing to help them out. Uh-huh. And I had a TV show on PBS called Life on the Block also. Wow. They're running about the same time. And when I came back here, I said, oh, I'm done with that. <laughs> My first job I got, you know, back when I came to Kentucky, they worked me up until maybe like November, right after Thanksgiving. They said, well, we're going to lay you off and, you know, we'll bring you back in the spring. And I was like, my bills don't wait that long. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, now I've got to go find something to do. And I came out to the local radio station. I walked in. I said, hey, do you guys have any openings? They said, no, not really. But what can you do? And I said, who does your community talk show? Oh. And they said, well, we don't have anybody that does community talk show. I said, well, I can do that. I said, who do you have that talks about gardening? Well, we don't have anybody up for that either. I can fix that. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll come out here for the next 15 days in a row, free of charge, won't charge you anything. Uh If you don't like what I've got to say, then I just move on. And nine years later, I'm still sitting in the air chair uh, helping people grow food and trying to help our community out. 
Nice. You know, and I just want to call one on you. And that is you stepped into the radio station. You said, listen, I'm going to do this. You jumped out there and look what it's turned into. So I just want to congratulate you on that. That is awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you bet. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Well, I gave you a little tip earlier by starting too large. Oh, yes. You know, my hands were tied and, you know, every day was put into this project. Uh-huh. It was failing badly. I had somebody tell me towards the end, well, do you think you started off too big? And I said, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to work on that and going to fix it right away because way too much time, way too much energy. And I, and I couldn't get organized because it was so much stuff going on at one time. And so I learned that, you know, you start off slow, work your way up where you can manage it. Mm. Life gets a little easier. You know, oh, because yeah. Now, you know, you can go to work and you can come home and you can actually go home and sit down for a while. Yeah, I tell that to people all the time because I, I do tours here at the Urban Farm and there's a lot going on. I have a third of an acre in North Central Phoenix. I got solar panels. I've got green building stuff I've done. I've got an edible landscape. I've got 80 fruit trees on the property. We've got chickens in the backyard. There's a lot going on and people will come here sometimes and they're overwhelmed. It's like, whoa, hold on. I can't do this or where do I start? And so what I tell them to do is pick one or two things that are the simple place to start. Be successful and that'll pull you forward. You know, when I was talking about planter boxes earlier, uh-huh. a four-by-four four box will feed a family of two. If yeah. you continually plant it, once it's gone, you plant something else, it will keep you going for a while. If you use a eight-by-ten box, you know, that'll feed a family of four or five. Yep. But you just constantly just, you know, when one's gone, you plant some more. And that will take you all the way through the end of the growing season. And that's enough to keep you busy. Right. Exactly. B- keep you busy and your tummy full. That's right. <laughs> you would be smiling. Yeah, there you go. One of the things that I've noticed over and over again, over my decades of growing food here in Phoenix is how incredibly abundant nature is. In fact, I've determined for myself that there's only one place on the planet that lack lives, this notion of lack, and that's between our ears. Because when I look to nature, like my apple trees, I get hundreds of pounds of apples off of my apple trees. Have you found that? Yes, we've planted six apple trees, I think, four years ago. Uh huh. And, you know, we've been picking apples ever since. They're just now getting to a point where they're just large enough to really enjoy Yeah. You know, I'm having fun with apples. Nice. So what do you consider your biggest success? Biggest success is probably the community, community involvement, Mm -hmm. the volunteers. I'm a nonprofit through the United Way. Uh-huh. And they've been exactly what we needed. They helped keep my finances together. They let me know where things are at and people to talk to and how to get more community members involved in some of the things. They've, they've allowed me to set up a page on their website. Oh, yes. You know, when I need volunteers to just put it out there, I need 10 people to help do this project or whatever it might be. And I'll usually get anywhere from five to 10 people and, you know, makes my life a whole lot easier. Yeah. You know what? I got to do a shout out for you again. You just keep asking. You are really good at asking the universe for things and getting them. So important. My mother told me that if you don't ask, you won't get. Yeah, exactly. So what drives you? I guess what drives me most is knowing that there's people out here that don't have enough, you know, when it comes to kids, you know, who live in homes where you have two parents who work and you still don't have enough food, or you've got seniors that, you know, have a pick between medicine or food. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of need for food out there because I tell people all the time, you know, you can have big houses, big cars, you know, you can have all this stuff, but if you don't have anything to eat, you're going to starve to death. Yeah. So that's what keeps me going is knowing that somebody out there needs my assistance. And if I don't know the answer, I can always call somebody that does have it. 
Well, you and I, before we started recording, we laughed about this. I often tell people that I can't help myself. This is what I have to do. And it, and you said the same thing. Tell me about that. Well, you know, because like say that I said I wasn't going to do it no more. And I come back into town and, well, you know what? I'm digging holes and I'm trying to, you know, do tomato plants, you know, and because where I live at on the east end of town, it's not exactly the richest part of town. But, you know, from the last two or three years that I've been growing food, I found more people growing tomatoes in their backyard Mm -hmm. or their side yard, wherever they can get sunshine. Yeah. They're starting to really enjoy it. And one of my big things is sunflowers. Oh, I usually have giant sunflowers every year around my home, and the kids really get to enjoy it. I'll, at the end of the season, I'll cut you know, the heads off and give it to the kids. And you know, So we have sunflowers everywhere. Nice. When there's fun, and you know, sunflowers are a happy plant. Yes, it is. You know, I was driving down one of our streets in a more suburban part of Phoenix recently, and you know, there were these empty lots one after another, but one of them had literally hundreds and hundreds of sunflowers growing right off of the street. That's right. And it just made me smile. Yeah, because my sunflowers usually go in, because I've got the giant German sunflowers. They're like 14 to 17 feet tall. Yep. And the kids are really amazed when they walk past the house and they look at, that's a big sunflower. Oh, yeah. And they said, can I have one? I said, as soon as it's done, I will make sure to cut a head off and get you 10 or 15 seeds. One thing I haven't mentioned, one of the projects that I've worked on is starting a seed library. Oh. You know, we started off with, you know, a little box. You know, that maybe have 16 little drawers in it. Yep. And then invited the community to come and bring their seeds. And most of the seeds I can get free. You know, all you got to do is just know you find a flower company that says, hey, you know, do you have any last year's seeds? I run a nonprofit. Can you send me some seeds? And they usually send you 15 or 20 seeds. A lot of those things I don't even have to pay for. And it goes right out to the community. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people, you know, you get 150 seeds in a pack. Nobody's going to use those unless you, you know, got yourself a farm. So we usually have the high school students or somebody divide them up, maybe 10 seeds in a pack, mm-hmm. and we kind of spread it out so this way everybody can get their own. Nice. Well, and that's, again, where that abundance shows up at, because if you plant one seed, you can get dozens to hundreds of seeds off of that one plant if you let it go to seed. Exactly. Well, awesome on that, too. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? There's a lady here in Erin, Kentucky. Her name is Rona Roberts, and she has a cookbook called The Classic Kentucky Meals. And these are all local foods that are grown right here locally from the local farmers or farmer's markets. And she uses nothing but the local best. And she's been on my show several times. Uh And what I really like about her book is that five ingredients are less. Oh, yeah. Because the more ingredients you have, the less taste that you get. You know, I tell people, if you can do five ingredients or less, your meal will taste a whole lot better and it'd be a whole lot healthier. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I guess my final advice would be start small, work your way into it, and we want you to enjoy it. And not everybody has the greatest advice. <laughs> because there's a lot of people out there who will give you advice that isn't exactly the greatest. Yeah. So, you know, I tell people to research a lot of the things that you want to do so this way you, know, you can have the best of everything when it comes to your garden or your landscape. Or your life. Or your life, yes. And I tell people that just because, you know, somebody has been doing it for 30 years doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah. You know, you have to take some of the good with the bad. Yeah. And just make it your own. Nice. That's the big thing. you got to experiment and figure out what works for you, especially in gardening. In gardening and in life. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, James. Not a problem. I really enjoyed it. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? They can always contact me at spreadingcompost at gmail.com. That's my email address. Uh-huh. I usually answer it, you know, within a day or two. Perfect. Because I am out here, you know, digging holes and working right through the spring all the way up until it gets cold. So nice. I will get to you. Perfect, perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash gardening with James. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, and courses. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. We want to know what you think about our podcast. You've been listening to me for almost three years now, and I want to hear from you. I have some very specific questions, including what you like about our podcast and where we should be going next. The important part is I really want your opinion. I'm looking to connect with 50 listeners from no more than 10 minutes who are willing to share your thoughts. It's simple to sign up. Go to urbanfarm.org and look at the top menu. Sign up there. I look forward to chatting. As listeners to our podcast, you know that I love experimenting. And as urban farmers and gardeners, I can predict that you probably have done your fair share of experiments with new seed varieties. But if you are as busy as I am, sometimes just finding new seeds is a challenge. Well, what if someone else did the work for you? I'd like to introduce you to Seed Bank Box, an excellent source of non-GMO and heirloom seeds delivered right to your door. Each month, you will receive 8 to 10 surprise seed varieties with information for each seed on a card you'll keep. It's time to start experimenting again. Let Seed Bank Box help you plant the garden of your dreams. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash seed bank box for more information and to sign up. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.